Welcome to Everyday Animism, a weekly podcast exploring all things animism, particularly how animism impacts everyday life. The podcast is hosted by Kelly Harrell, Brandis Schnabel, and Janet Roper. Let's dive in. Hey, everyone. How are you? Good. How are you? Doing good. We're still waiting on Kelly, I think. And I was all poised to say, happy book launch day. We'll wait till she gets here. And then we can say, happy book launch day. (laughs) Hello. Hello. Oh, you came in the middle. (laughs) Happy book launch day. Thank you. (laughs) It's been a day. (laughs) It's like it. Yeah. No, it's been insane. I cannot even say. Well, I'm excited to talk about animism and divination. Yay! I'm just going to launch right into the topic. (laughs) Before before a hurricane hits, before anything happens, (coughs) let's make sure we actually identify the topic. Yeah, let's just talk fast. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, we wanted to talk about animism and divination. and uh, I mean, not just because uh, Kelly had a book come out today. Yay! <laughs> called the Rune- it's uh, called the Runic Book of Days, a guide to living the annual cycle of the rune of rune magic. Um, and it is on Amazon, and it is awesome. Yay! Um, but the runes are a system of divination, and um, all three of us are have our different systems and our, our different ways of engaging in divination. So um, I am looking forward to hearing how each of you kind of frame divination in terms of your animistic framework. But uh, to start off with uh, Kelly, do you want to kind of talk about divination in general? I like how we, I always defer to you having been <laughs> our teacher. <laughs> to explain shit (laughs) that's what you get for explaining it so well kelly yeah so Um, let's define divination before we dive into divination wait i don't have that in my notes wait wait a minute um i guess for okay so i define it differently like a lot of people immediately hear divination and they think fortune telling and that's a misnomer that we need to get rid of so from my vantage point divination is learning to read signs they could be any signs symbols sigils you name it it could it could be your heart rate it's whatever it works for you whatever speaks to you that allows you to find meaning in in you know whatever it is that you need and for me that meaning is a distillation of what's happening in your present it has nothing to do with the future but if we have a greater uh, multi-level understanding of what's happening in our present then guess what happens no really guess what happens janet guess <laughs> <laughs> Okay, 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 never mind. <laughs> then we're in alignment with what's going on instead of working well, yes. Yeah, more of an animistic yeah. approach. And it means that we make better choices about our future. So, I mean, I can see why people get that, you know, why people make that leap. Oh, it's fortune telling, but it's really not. It's a hyper distillation of reading what's going on in your present so that you have more information to make choices about how you move forward. So that's 
that's my, that's as general as I can dial it out on divination. Yeah. And I, like, I also, um, I had this conversation with a client last week, just who's, who's also fairly intuitive and um, talking about divination and they were questioning me in terms of what does that mean? What is, what it, where does it come from? I had this conversation with friends too, who are just like, you know, you pull the card, like you have a deck of cards, you pull cards, like, where's that answer coming from? And my answer is often, does it matter if there's an answer? (laughs) But also, I mean, for my, for me, I feel like it can come from multiple places. So, you know, sometimes what's on the card activates this deep inner part of me that recognizes that symbol and recognize how it ties to the answer that I already know, like this deep knowing that I need a symbol to activate in me. And sometimes I feel like it's, I mean, it's sometimes I feel like it's external um, and there are different forms of divination. There are different ways that I engage in divination. And some of those feel more external where I'm connecting with that deep inner knowing that is around me, that's willing to communicate with me. And then sometimes I feel like it's a deep inner knowing that's activated internally. And either one of them, it is, like you said, a deepened awareness or an intentional, I mean, there's a very intentional process of engaging in divination. It's asking a question and really pausing rather than scrambling for the answer, rather than looking to someone else for the answer, but to like sit and ground oneself in where the answer might be sitting right in front of you, whether it's on the card or whether it's in the pattern in the leaves in front of you or whether it's in numbers you've been seeing all day or whatever the thing is, it activates, I think, an existing knowing and you know better all of the factors you need in order to make a decision or see something from a slightly different angle or you walk into something coming up with an additional level of um, caution or, you know, whatever the thing is. What about you, Janet? How does that, how do you typically explain divination, I guess? That the answer is coming beyond myself because when I ask myself questions, I want the answers that I feel comfortable with that, you know, are very easy in life and makes everything just um, hunky-dory copacetic. But when I ask for what that is that is beyond me, where the um, answer is coming from beyond me, there's no strings attached. I know that um, whoever I'm speaking to, um, wherever that answer is coming from, that they are giving me a totally unbiased answer. And that's what I need, an unbiased answer without attachment. Yeah, and I think when done well, it's you can even access that from internally too, because there's a part of you that isn't attached to your ego and isn't attached to outcomes. That's right. just simply sitting there that like, that's, you know, even when you're looking at that inner insight, there is a part of you that's not attached to the outcome that's able to say, well, I mean, if you're going to put down your insistence that this turn out this way, maybe you should look at this. Um, and in terms of practice, so, I mean, we're talking about divination fairly philosophically or, you know, big picture. Um, but also, what does it look like for each of us? So I tend to like card decks, and I also um, engage in a lot of talk with the sky and sky patterns and clouds. And um, I spend a lot of time looking up 
and feeling what resonates or activates in me communication wise or cards, what they activate in me, that kind of thing. Um, but I know each of you have your own methods, including the runes. So let's, what are you two doing? Let's what? Let's go to the runes. Okay. Hmm. Well, I think for me, okay, so I tried a lot of forms of divination. I did not, probably didn't know the word divination at the time, but um, I tried a lot of different methods of engagement with some sort of trusted uh, intelligence or, you know, awareness outside myself, and they just didn't work. And, and so that pretty much like by default is how I fell into the runes. But I do think it's important to say the runes were not originally a tool for divination. They were an alphabet. And that, and I say that's all they were, as if that's, you know, somehow less. But their significance as an alphabet and their longevity and the mythology that comes with how the runes were brought to humanity is what makes them such a powerful tool for divination and for magic work and also for seasonal work, which is how, how I most use them. I don't use them that much for divination anymore. But, um, but for me, having that cultural layer, understanding where they came from, how they developed in the significance that they had in the human psyche that's what made them speak to me I think that's ultimately what caught me about them mm -hmm. so I guess I've worked with them for about 25 years and it's taken me a long time to really find kind of an animistic relationship like they're not just this switchboard that I go to when my shit's burning down anymore it actually is a relationship yeah, and that's, that's one of the things that I think when we're talking about animism and, and divination, the things that I really find activate that knowing in me, that sense of what, you know, getting an answer or getting insight when I'm engaged in it are the systems that I've chosen that really resonate and they really speak naturally to me, whether it's through, a, like you're talking about the runes and a prolonged period of studying and using and really searching through all of the layers of them until you have this really deep relationship and you pull something and you immediately, you immediately connect to the meeting rather than, you know, for me, it, like tarot, um, tarot is another system. That's like a, a common system, lots of different decks, but within, you know, that, uh, sort of suits and all that kind of thing. Um, a lot of people connect to that system and then find a deck where the imagery really is in tune with what they associate with each of the cards and the, um, and so there's this, in, there's this immediate relationship as soon as you pull cards and you put them in positions. And um, so it, there's just a lot of worth in finding which one you have an, I guess a really authentic relationship with, I hate to use authentic but um, that there's just a genuine relationship there. Like for you, the runes, um, the runes scare the shit out of me. But for Kelly, it's like this deep, intimate relationship. For me, uh, I would say like the sky communication is that, which is kind of this longstanding thing where I've learned to understand what's being said, 
I've learned to understand patterns. I've learned to understand what my inner reaction means and is indicative of. What's your go-to, Janet? My go-to is um, nature. And in that, it would be the animals and the mountains and the land. And nothing ever surprised me so much that when I experienced the mountains being as expressive as Mm -hmm. they are. And at Mm -hmm. first it was just like, oh, wow. And then to feel their, their support and their wisdom to me, it's just mind boggling. Mm -hmm. So I go to that. And then I also do the tarot. Um, My favorite deck at this point in time, because it switches off and on, is the Wildwood. And I've been using that probably, I've been using it for years, but I've been using it consistently, Mm -hmm. I would say for the past two to three years. And that's a very nature-based deck. And so there's a connection there for me. Yeah, that's a gorgeous deck. I love that Uh, deck. And I like, um, I'm currently, so since I don't connect hugely by the tarot system itself, I have a trimmed, uh, which hopefully this doesn't generate a bunch of hate mail, but I trimmed the Mary L uh, tarot deck down to just the images and I use it more purely intuitively. And I love the imagery in that deck too. The soul cards as well, which are, they are actually a purely intuitive deck. There's no directions. There's no, you don't have a book telling you what each card means. You just pull a card and immediately have to engage your own sort of intuition around each of the cards. Um, And the runes, I'm, so I don't think we talked about this, but Kelly, do you want to kind of explain like what form the runes come in? And for me, I always <laughs> explain them initially as uh, remember that alphabet that J.R.R. Tolkien used in his original oh, prints of his books. And he sort of like blatantly stole most of those letters from the Elder Futhark. <laughs> like, yeah and i mean that's most people's awareness of the runes is that you know how much it seeped into D and world of warcraft and i love all of those things don't get me wrong but it irks right. the shit out of me that if you google rune you get some fucking game anyway um right put a pin in that um but i mean yeah i mean ultimately the elder futhark has it, it's it's the grandparent of all the runes there are many futhark systems and it's the one that we know the least about and so there's a lot of controversy about it what we know about it is because the later futharks used it as their stepping stone to develop more sounds to develop you know phonetically to develop more sounds in the language and in their alphabet and so mm-hmm. What we know about it is because we do have literature that includes mm-hmm. the later Futharks. We really have nothing about the elder Futhark except the it. You know, we have it carved into things that we, you mm-hmm. know, have tucked away in museums here and there. But we just don't, we don't have any direct information about it. So anything that you read about it, you have to kind of hold it with a grain of salt. But I think that that's part of why people kind of really don't know what to do with the runes. You know, they look at them and they're just these little etchings, these little sticks that, you know, they kind of look like letters. They're reminiscent of our English alphabet, but they, you know, the tarot is all the rage and it has been for probably about the last 10 years. And I'm, I'm fairly confident in saying that if Vikings, the TV show hadn't become all the rage, the, the runes would still be in the backseat. Because everybody is, you know, 
everybody is pulled into the imagery of cards. I mean, so many people choose their decks based on their appearance, which is all good and well, but I often wonder if they're making a relationship with the actual spirit of the deck or if they're just kind of sucked into the images. And I don't know that it makes a difference in the long run, but I do feel like a lot of people, they look at the runes and they're like, what the hell is that? Because you, you don't immediately have that sense of culture. You're not immediately pulled into a landscape that's lush and vivid in the way that you are with so many decks. But if you know the culture, if you understand that the rune's situated in, every one of them does that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's there. And there also, so the other thing is there's so many, or there's, there's so many tarot cards. So there's, there's just this immense pool of symbols, but the, the runes are very much fewer in number. So it feels like they're each more condensed like I always say they're they kind of smack you in the face there's just a lot of intensity to each one like you like a tarot you could put a tarot spread with like 12 cards although that completely overwhelms me but some people do I can't do that yeah but you pull more than a couple runes and you're just like it's just it's a lot um because they each are so rich and yeah And people tend to want to do that with all forms of divination. They're like, oh, my God, what spread do you use and how many do you pull? And I'm like, what's your intention? And they go silent. They're like, what are you talking about? (laughs) And I'm like, why are you focusing on spreads and how how many you're going to use if you don't know the reason that you're using them? And that that frequently I'm not popular for that. But if you don't know the reason that you're using them, how can you interpret what they tell you? Right. And that's, that's what shuts the door. They're like, well, yeah, you're right. I don't know what it means. And you know, whether you're using cards or sticks or leaves or whatever, if you don't have some intention in place for why that communication is happening, why you're seeking it, then you don't know how to interpret what it has to say to you. Yeah, totally agree. And I, um, it doesn't make you very popular with people who are like, well, just, uh, can you pull some cards for me? And it's like, right. Right. sometimes right. when I try to have that conversation of intention, it's like, what do you, uh, what are you hoping to know? This isn't a magic trick. Like I'm, I'm not right. going in here with no information to just magically tell you something. That's not the most like three cards or three runes and say, I pulled these cards. Can you tell me what they mean? And my short answer, no. Do I know what they are? Do I know what they say? Yes, but that has nothing to do with the reason that you pulled them. What I get out of them isn't going to be what you get out of them because I have no idea why you pulled them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And from and you know, from an animistic perspective, it's kind of like showing up to you know, going to a person. Like the divinatory system itself has each, you know, it is its own entity. So if you go to it and just say, like, do a trick, I mean, how insulting is that, too? It's like you're not going to get something uh, meaningful out of that as opposed to going to that entity and saying, I would benefit from wisdom related to such and such, or I intend to learn more about such and such as I ask something from you. You know, there's a in, in looking at that relationship, which is animistic, what are you clearly communicating to the other to the other right. entity in the relationship in that right. interaction right. And what are you 
what are you giving? What are you offering? Because I mean, ultimately it all comes down to relationship. I mean, animism comes down to relationship. And if, if you're really working with any tool as an ally, then you, then it's about reciprocity and you have Mm -hmm. to ask what it needs from you. And um, yeah, I had a discussion about this recently, but you you can tell the people who have that relationship of reciprocity going on with their oracle because they're better at it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and they're showing up for their relationship regularly too. So that's exactly I mean, that's part of the reason for the ongoing. You know, not that it's pra- it's not. I think it's always framed as practice, but really, it's just continuing to show up for an ongoing relationship. And there's that whole element of how are you caring for that system? If it's a deck, you know, like I have a special, my favorite deck comes with me in a special pouch that I got for it. And, you know, I keep them in places where they're well cared for. Um, And when I take them out, I'm careful with them. And when I'm using, you know, the ones that you use regularly, they show up. They don't just sit there and kind of stare back at you. And I think that's pretty cool. Have either one of you worked with a pendulum? Yes. No. They don't work for me. So, I mean, I have worked with them enough to say they, they don't work for me. I'm, I may as well be a corpse holding that thing. They don't even show that I'm alive. Like, you know, they should have a certain amount of movement. Just seriously, just by holding them, you, you should be able to gauge a certain amount of movement. And, and based on the relationship with that pendulum, you, you understand what it's telling you, how it moves. They don't move when I hold them. <laughs> I'm, I'm not super familiar with like really nuanced pen, pendulum work, <laughs> but I always, I've always had them framed in conversation with that I've had around like yes or no, either or type answers. And I don't resonate with, with asking those type of questions. I get really deeply uncomfortable with asking. And I, I don't find that I often feel the same level of clarity when I ask an Oracle as in a system of divination for a very finite answer or a very um, black and white answer. I don't ask. Yeah. Yeah. I don't ask questions at all. For me, Mm -hmm. when you phrase things as questions, there is an art to, to forming intention. And I talk mm-hmm. about this in the book. I talk about it in everything that I teach. But when you ask questions, you have a tendency to exclude information unconsciously by the way you're phrasing it. Whereas if you state what you need to know, it's more open-ended. And because, I mean, right. you end, invariably you end up with people saying, why? And, and when you're talking to an oracle, especially if, if it's new to you, it's like talking to a four-year-old. It, you, you get what you put into it. And so if you don't put well-phrased, thought-out intentions into it, then you don't get a whole lot useful back. Yeah, I feel like when I, that's, um, and I, I rarely ask questions either, if I do ask questions, they're like, what is, what wisdom's available for me on such and such? Um, but I do kind of say, I intend to under, better understand, or I intend to learn more, or I'm available for whatever insights. But um, the, the yes or no, the, the either or, the question thing, it's like, I often feel like the answer comes back with like, well, it depends. 
Like, it's not a, you, you can say like, should I do this? And like the answer from an Oracle is going to be like, well, that's not a lot of information. Like it depends. Yeah. And I, I, I circumvent that in the way that I state the intention and and in the way that I do layouts, I just completely circumvent that whole perspective of, of this or that and bring it down to what is the nuance of both of them? You know, of, of all of the A, B, and C that we're talking about, I read for A, B, and C. Right. And if, yeah, and if it comes to a decision, it's, you know, for me, it's what do I need to know in order to make the decision? You know, like what's, what's the wisdom here? What should I be aware of? What should I be cautious about? You know, whatever it is. But the, I mean, I, I think that's where you put too, I, or some people put too much pressure on an Oracle is that I don't, the Oracle shouldn't necessarily be making the actual decision. Right. Absolutely. Right. It's, about, it's about wisdom and like right. maybe some additional angles to look at it. You know, it's, it's to poke at the dusty corners or like, maybe you're facing this way and it, an Oracle will tilt you a little to the left and say, Hey, you, you didn't see this. Right. It's an or honest make sure to look mistake you. to make. Yeah. And I think sometimes people approach or uh, divinatory work at a point of, of desperation for clarity. And it's not, it's not a good time to approach an, an Oracle. No. no. Would you say that's especially true of beginners? Oh, novices? No, you know what? I think it's true of anybody. I don't yeah. think it, if whether you're a beginner or you're a, a seasoned shaman or you, if you're in a shit storm, you're in an altered state and it's all, it's all going to be received differently. And with the runes, I can tell you without hesitation, they'll stop talking. Like if I'm not yeah. in a good frame of mind, they will just quit talking. Yeah. I think the tendency to look for that kind of thing is, can be a beginner's thing because I feel like I very quickly I don't know about I shouldn't say very quickly but I definitely have figured out that when um it's when things are a dumpster fire is not the time for me to go find cards to pull Mm -mm, like there's something I need to do before that whether it's ground myself or reach out for real like for tangible resource emotional resources you know like I need to make sure I'm in a state to show up without an inner churning going on you know, you don't pull a card to decide whether you're going to get a divorce or if you're going to have People kids or say, you know, it's, they do yeah. it and they, they come, I mean, I don't do those kind of readings anymore, but in the beginning they would come and ask me those questions and I'm like, for yeah. real, seriously. Yeah. I feel like I would never, ever, mm-hmm. um, that's a, mm-mm. maybe it's not actually a liability, but it feels like it would be an enormous liability. Yes. Well, if somebody <laughs> is willing to, if somebody's willing to displace that kind mm-hmm. of a significant um, life choice onto you or, you know, onto the cards, they'll definitely displace the results of acting on it on you as a reader. Yes. Yes. And also, I mean, someone who's going to come for that kind of clarity from someone else, there's likely a ton of information you're not going to have in even approaching the divinatory system or the Oracle in even pursuing the question. Yeah. It's like you're, if the person doesn't know themselves well enough to know that they shouldn't hand this decision over to someone else, then you're not going to get clarity on what they're asking to begin with. I think back in the day, 
when we were kind of situated in unique cultural pockets that mm-hmm. were tribal, they were communities that had a shared belief system, if not shared deities or, you know, animistic perspective, we would have had, you know, maybe not everybody, you know, back in the old Norse days, you know, not everybody would have been rune readers, but we would have at least all been playing with the same information. And so it would have been more like, yes, you would go to this, you know, mystic in the tribe who does the reading for you, but there are all these other resources that the tribe has to offer that helps you through that information, that helps you know what to do with and act on that information. And I think that we're missing that in the way we do it in the new age. When people just plonk down with, you know, you know, whoever with the third eye is reading God only knows what card deck, there are a lot of supports that are missing from that structure. Right. Agreed. And there, there's a common language that's lacking in so much of what we do that's outside of, Yes. I mean, mainstream religion. There's, there's so much of it that we don't get to build community because we're not speaking the same language or we may be, and we just don't recognize it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, do you want to tell people a little bit about um, the book itself, the runic, uh, the runic book and sort of what the intention is, who it's good for people new to the runes, that kind of thing. Do you want to tell everybody what it's about or what it's best uses are? Sure. It's, it's written to be, open to all levels if you're a beginner if you're somebody who's worked with the runes for a long time and you want to deepen that practice the idea of the book is that yes we have the runes as this alphabet as this um divinatory and magical system but it's also a timekeeping system and that aspect of the runes has gotten lost in modern use and i fell in love with it a long long time ago through the work of nigel pinnock And it's his iteration of the runic calendar, which is that in in the Elder Futhark, there are 24 runes. And so it's everything is broken down into half months. Even modern astronomy is broken down into half months. And as there are 24 runes, there are two for each month as you go through the ordering of the Elder Futhark for the most part. And so we have this ability to move through that ordering and live in a timing that is in accordance with how the runic calendar flows. We can talk for like forever about how accurate it is and how historically, you know, what its historic precedence is. But the short version is our timekeeping doesn't work the way it did thousands of years ago. And so we have to kind of do the best that we can with what we have. And what I tried to do with this book is to come into this runic calendar that that we acknowledge in the present and how to use it for spiritual guidance, how to move through the Elder Futhark in a progressive way through each season, honoring the Sabbaths and um, sort of self-generate our personal initiations to just have this sense of how to move through the year <coughs> with some sort of spiritual marker. I don't know, like a day planner, so to speak. Yeah, I was going to say the book um, reads a lot like a, like a, 
sort of like a daily devotional, but it's not, um, it's not daily. It's by those two week periods. That's right. And it does kind of, you know, it provides you with these insights, but it also provides a lot of direction around how you can center yourself in that knowing and what to do with it. And I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of really interesting history, but there's also a lot of actionable things, what to do with all of that information and, and affirmation to carry through that half month. And you don't have to be a thousand years ago. You can do it where you're standing with the nature spirits that you live among right now. And it's taking the runes and applying them in these really small, you know, nuggets across the calendar and and being able Mm -hmm. to have this sort of transaction exactly where you stand and what awareness does that rune help you bring to that relationship. Mm -hmm. I can't wait to get my book. It comes in on Thursday. Yay. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I really love it. And I, I find that, um, I know I said the runes kind of scare me, but I feel like this context for it. And I find that I am someone who really, um, I really love talking about like, um, how we cycle through phases and how we can ground ourselves in consistent change, like repeating change cycles. Um, And I feel like this takes a system that I'm vaguely familiar with. I write in runes all the time, like to disguise things in my planner and whatnot. But I feel like this gives me a way to ground it in an existing practice of watching the seasons change, watching life change throughout the course of a year. I feel like it's very, very like grounded and usable and digestible to like whatever degree your interest is. I really like that. That's my hope. It really is. I like, I feel like it's going to be, there's so many angles to which it's a resource, whether it's just learning the runes in bits, bit by bit, or just, you know, having this additional framework to put on your existing grounding within the year. It's, it's a really cool read. Thank you. I, I hope I love it. it. I hope that it can have that impact and be that customizable for people. Mm-hmm. And what's our, what's the half month affirmation right now? I don't know. I'll have to look. It I was up. just pulling up. I was just pulling it up on like Kindle online to try and find yeah. it. What month is it? This time in September. May. So, <laughs> well, and you know, you raise a good point in that, you know, we're not just automatically connected to everything, you know, like, like there are certain times of the year that I'm like, I know the answer to that. And, and then there are others where I'm like, I don't know. So the half month yeah. right now is Rido. And the half month affirmation is the story I tell, the story I live, create the story that I am. Oh, I love that. Ooh, I love that. You two know how I feel about how we tell our stories, frames who we are. I got truth bumps on that one. That's, you know, that's what's going on right now. I've been, I've been talking about that on what in the weird and I'm, it's all about it for me. I mean, like right now, last half month was Ansu's. This is right though. And then the next one is Kenaz or Kauna, depending on how you want to pronounce it. And um, they all impact, you know, that formula that I've talked about a million times that it's, um, it's naming plus storytelling equals meaning. So we're coming up on the meaning part. And it's interesting to me, see this shit is way, just like my brain goes places. So we come through this sequence of of naming storytelling and deriving meaning and we're getting ready to come up on the dead time 
I mean, it, it's just like, it's just not an accident that it worked out that way. It's amazing to me. Right. And, and that's the time. I mean, yeah. for me, I'm like, that's the time to digest it all in a way, like yeah. to get ready to start it over again. Yeah. I, it's, um, it's really cool. I love, I love how there's a lot of detail as you go through this, you know, the annual cycle, but then at the end, there's always this like very distilled and here's the point and here's what to think about. And I think that's a really important factor in teaching people things and helping people ground in what the point is of knowing. And there's not everything needs to be known. Exactly. See, exactly. There's not a success or failure. It's just like, here's where I am. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I wish I could get all of the, you know, Kina's stuff done this year, but I'm not, and they'll, they'll be next year. And, you know, mm-hmm. there was last year that I can look back on and say, oh, well, here's where I was with it then. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've been talking about that a lot in, in other spaces too, just even in all the productivity nerd out that I do and being intuitively productive is like, we're never done. And if you were done, that means you're out of ideas. It means you finished a thing and you don't have a next thing. And like, how depressing would that be? We're always, we're always becoming, we're always telling, we're always creating and we're always digesting, which is also action for the next thing we're making. And um, there's just, there's no end point, just flexibility. And that's the beauty of it. And sometimes I don't realize it until I go back into my planner and I look and go, yeah, six months ago, look at that. That was different. So -hmm. it's nice to have that, you know, um, written down so I can see it. Mm-hmm. I won't remember it if I don't write it down. I mean, I, I won't. I have to. I'm a ridiculous, you know, journal freak, and I have been mm-hmm. all of my life. Mm-hmm. And I would not remember Same. shit if I didn't write it down. Yeah. And I think that the, I think the danger we get into now is that if we've written it down, it's it's written in stone, and it's we we get to rewrite it. I mean, yeah. writing it down is important. And then when it needs to be written differently, we get to write it down again. And that's the nuance that I really like to talk about in sort of following our paths, pursuing where we want to be, where we want to be gets to change based on where we're at now. So um, this was a fun one. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like we went down a bunch of rabbit holes and I loved all of them. Rabbit holes are good. They are good. Yeah. So check out Kelly's book, Runic Book of Days, Kelly Harrell. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes on Tumblr. And next week, I think we're doing the change of season, fall equinox. Dang, I think so. It's just flying. Yeah, I feel feel like it's it's (gasps) very... I was trying to think of what came in between those, but no, actually next week is the change of season. Yeah. So, all right. <laughs> we're going to we're going to talk fall equinox next week and how we observe what we're noticing all the all the all the stuff we did for summer and midsummer and all that. And if you have any questions specific to the the seasonal change or about the book or about divination, hit us up on the website and or message each of us individually. We love questions. Um as soon as we have a handful, we'll do another um, Q&A episode and we will see you next week have a good week y'all thank you ladies take thank good you. care see you soon. bye-bye 
Thank you so much for listening this week. If you'd like more information on Kelly, Brandis, or Janet, or to listen to past episodes of our podcast, get some more information on our resource page, you can find all of those tidbits at everydayanimism.tumblr.com. See you next week.